0: Join us as we explore the exciting past of the grand state of Texas from the archives of the Texas Collection. Host Dr. Mary Landon Darden will introduce Texas history writers who will tell dramatic and often little-known Texas tales right here on Treasures of the Texas Collection.
1: Who was Pat Morris Neff? Some people remember him as the Texas governor who created the state park system. Others may recall him as the man who brought Baylor University back from the brink of extinction in the 1930s. And still others will think of his legendary oratory skills. In the end, he is considered a Texas legend and treasure. Join me as I talk with Austin freelance writer Hans Christensen about Pat Neff's extraordinary life. Welcome to the show, Hans.
0: Thanks, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Tell us about Pat Neff and who he was, and what was his life like?
0: Well, Pat Neff was born on November 26, 1871, and he was the youngest of nine children. His parents, Noah and Isabel, were actually transplanted Virginians who moved to central Texas in 1855, about a decade after Texas had officially become a U.S. state. His father, Noah, had purchased land along the Coriel-McLennan County border near the Leon River. This land, which they eventually turned into a cotton farm, became known as Pat's Home Place. Now what's interesting is that while the Neff family was raised in a Baptist tradition, um, neither his parents grew up as Baptists. His father Noah was raised as a Methodist, and his mother Isabella was a devout Presbyterian. However, when they moved to Texas, the Baptist church was the only denomination nearby. And since they wanted to raise their children in the Christian faith, they joined the local church.
1: Well, in general, working on a farm in the days before tractors was very hard work, not to mention working on a cotton farm in the southern heat. What was it like on the Neff family farm?
0: Well, you know, it wasn't easy, but um, their, their farm was very successful, and it was a family affair to work it. Um, when the boys were old enough to work, they, they often joined Noah in the fields, and they would work from sunset to sundown, which averaged about 12 hours a day, six days a week. And, being the good Christians they were, they rested from their labor on Sunday. But Pat's main chore, other than picking cotton, was working with the hogs. And it's funny, because later in life, he credited his patience to this time working with the hogs. Hmm. Apparently, there's nothing more frustrating than trying to corral hungry hogs inside of a nearby (laughs) cornfield. But over the years, the Neff family underwent several tragedies. During a three-year period, typhoid claimed the lives of two of his siblings— a sister named Lizzie and a brother named Charles, along eventually with his father, Noah. Not long after the death of Charles in 1855, another brother named Edward was arrested for murder but was eventually acquitted. However, in 1888, the Neff name was wounded with the conviction of Brother Samuel in the armed robbery of a mail train.
1: There's a story that Pat Neff told often about wearing a dress and a sunbonnet as a child. Is that really true?
0: You know, apparently it is. Um, Neff often talked about this story, and I guess his mother made him wear a dress and a large sunbonnet while he was out in the cotton fields in order to protect his fair skin. And this continued until he was around nine or 10 years old. And since Neff was big for his age, um, this eventually caused him some problems as he was often mistaken for for a girl. In fact, one time when he tried to go to watch a local horse race, they weren't going to let him in because they actually thought he was a girl. But once they found out he was indeed a boy, they did let him in to watch the race.
1: (laughs) I know Pat Neff was initially homeschooled because there wasn't any nearby school for him to attend. But what can you tell us about the rest of his schooling?
0: You know, all the Neff children started out being homeschooled by their mother, Isabella, because there just weren't any schools nearby. But as Neff grew older, he had he attended the newly constructed elementary school at Eagle Springs and later attended high school in McGregor, Texas. But it was during a trip to Waco to to deliver cotton that he first saw Baylor University and resolved to one day attend the famous Baptist institution. And that day arrived on December 31st, 1888 when he enrolled for the spring 1889 term. And his time at Baylor would be a very significant time in his life. He met future Baylor president Samuel Brooks, who would become his first roommate and lifelong friend. And he also met his future wife, a young music major from Lovelady, Texas, named Myrtle Manier, or Murdy, as she liked to be called. And following his graduation in 1894, Pat chose his career path. He would become a lawyer.
1: Now, he didn't go to law school right away, though, right? He, he spent a few years teaching?
0: That's right. Um, Following his graduation from Baylor, he wanted to get his his finances in order before he pursued law. So he went ahead and received a teaching certificate from the Texas Educational Department in Austin and found a job at the Southwestern Academy, a new preparatory school in Magnolia, Arkansas. He spent the day with Murdy and Lovelady and then went to Magnolia. And it would actually be a year before he would see her again. Mm. Um, But while he was at Southwestern, he excelled at the Academy although he had a very grueling teaching schedule. The classes included physiology, oratory, which was one of Neff's specialties, mathematics, and Latin. And one of his students, a boy named Harvey Couch, went on to achieve great entrepreneurial success in the railroad and energy industries. Couch even became an advisor to U.S. presidents Roosevelt and Hoover. He always credited his success back to Neff's guidance and teaching. But at the end of two years, Neff was ready to move back to Texas and pursue his studies in law.
1: There's a great story involving Pat Neff at the University of Texas Law School. Apparently, he was involved in a group called the Rebels.
0: This is a great story. Um, while Neff was at the law school at, U- at the University of Texas, um, he participated in a very historical prank. You know, typically on March 2nd, the state of Texas celebrates its independence from Mexico. And in 1897, while it was a state holiday, it wasn't a University of Texas holiday. So in true rebel fashion, Neff and a few friends decided to change that. On March 1st, a planning for the rebellion was underway. The ingredients included an oversized Texas flag, a cannon which was borrowed from the nearby state capitol, and 45 pounds of gunpowder. The next day, they rolled a cannon in front of Old Main and prepared to fire it. The rebels were met by the university's newly installed president and North Carolina native George T. Winston. And what's interesting, instead of punishing the boys, he actually praised them. Neff recalled Winston saying, I was born in the land of liberty, rocked in the cradle of liberty, nursed on the bottle of liberty, and I've had liberty preached to me all my life. But Texas university students take more liberty than anyone I've ever come in contact with. <laughs> And the Rebels did get to fire off the cannon, but it was in a nearby athletic field, a suggestion which was given to them by President Winston.
1: So, did Neff ever marry Murdy? Well, you know, apparently
0: Neff wasn't really in a hurry to get married. He and Murdy went through a nine-year courtship before they eventually tied the knot. For several years, he maintained that he wanted to get through law school first and become self-sufficient. He also told her in letters that he didn't feel ready for marriage, and he often criticized his friends getting married. He described the pending marriages of his friends as crossing the muddy waters. But even Neff couldn't hold out forever. Toward the end of the courtship, Murdy became more forceful and pressed for a wedding date. And Neff finally gave in after calling the situation inevitable and agreed to get married. The ceremony took place on May 31st, 1899 in Lovelady, Texas. Unfortunately, no one from the Neff family attended the wedding. He had pleaded for his mother to make the trip, but she responded that she no longer felt able to travel. What's interesting is that she continued to travel around Texas for the next 20 years. But she did make it to Baylor to attend his master's degree graduation ceremony the following year.
1: Let's step back a little and talk about Pat Neff and how he got started in politics, uh, which was apparently an on-again, off-again kind of affair. That's
0: a great way to describe it. You know, after he graduated from law school, Neff moved back to Waco to practice law. At the time, he was 25 years old. And since his initial workload was lighter than he might have imagined... He decided to work on a master's degree at Baylor, so the following year, on March 31st, he decided to run for the Texas legislature. After a successful campaign against six other candidates, Neff was elected in the general election on November 8th. He was sworn into the House of Representatives on January 10th, 1899. He would go on to serve an additional two terms for a total of six years in the Texas House of Representatives, and during the third term, the 28th legislature, Neff was elected Speaker of the House.
1: Patnev also enjoyed a short but often considered brilliant career as a prosecutor in Waco. What are some of the stories associated with this stage of his career?
0: Well, after he finished his third term in the legislature, he decided to forego any more statewide offices for a time. And in 1903, he accepted the position of assistant county attorney in Waco from his friend and then county attorney O.H. Cross, with whom he had served with in the legislature. Along with prosecuting felonies and misdemeanors, Neff was allowed to continue handling clients in his own private practice, too. In 1906, Neff assumed the county attorney's position after defeating a primary opponent and running unopposed in the general election. The following year, he had become the president of the Board of Trustees at Baylor. In 1908, he was unanimously elected to a second term, and in 1910, he was elected to an unprecedented third and final term. During his six years as county attorney, Neff tried a total of 352 cases and won all but 16. Wow. His oratorical skills often impressed the juries, and one of his closing arguments in a murder case against a man named Alex Johnson was included in an eight-volume series of legal speeches. Neff took pride in leaving the office with virtually zero cases for his successor, compared to the nearly 1,100 pending cases he encountered when he assumed office.
1: It sounds like Neff was a restless overachiever he must have missed being in politics, because at some point, didn't he run for governor?
0: He did. After Neff stepped down from the county attorney's office, he focused on his private practice for the next sixty years. But during this time, he began thinking of entering politics again, this time as governor. Once he made his decision in 1919, nearly a year before the primary election, he began to get the word out to his friends and colleagues of his intention to run for governor. And since Texas was such a heavily Democratic state at the time, the real voting took place in the primaries and runoff elections. After immense campaigning in 1920, Neff secured the party nomination. By the time the general election rolled around November, it wasn't even a contest. Neff won very easily.
1: Hmm. Pat Neff was a man of strong convictions, I know, and one in particular involved questionable beverages. Uh, This became sort of an issue and perhaps even a liability during his campaign for governor.
0: That's right. When Neff was running for governor, he had a bit of an image problem that he had to overcome. His opposition described him as a mollycoddle, claiming he had never shot a gun, baited a hook, or drunk anything stronger than Brazos River water. Neff worked hard at reversing this perception by presenting himself as a hunter and a fisherman as he traveled around Texas campaigning. And a funny story involves Neff at a duck hunting camp. After a day of hunting, Neff's friends discovered that he had carried an unloaded gun all day long. The next morning, the men decided to play a joke on him for his lack of contribution to the hunt. The cook began to dish out plates with cooked duck from the previous day, but when he got to Neff, he served him a plate with a wooden duck decoy. (laughs) I don't know if Neff thought this was funny or not. And while Neff was a lifelong teetotaler, he did recall one incident early in his life when he drank something stronger than Brazos River water. He was traveling out of town with his good friend, Samuel Brooks, who convinced him to drink a cup of coffee. After giving in to the temptation, Neff would proclaim it to be his first and last cup of coffee.
1: (laughs) Wish I could say the same. Uh, Pat Neff would serve two terms as governor before again retiring from public service. What can you tell about, tell about his time in office, and does any particular legislation stand out?
0: You know, there are a few things from Neff's time as governor that are noteworthy. You know, he worked at cleaning up the prison pardon process, which he felt had been abused by his predecessors. And in 1922, he declared martial law and sent Texas National Guard troops and Texas Rangers to Mejia, Texas. The town had a population surge after a large oil strike and had become overrun with crime. The martial law stayed in effect for 47 days, and resulted in the arrest of more than 600 people hmm. but his biggest success is probably the creation of a statewide park system in texas the idea is credited to his mother who first donated six acres along the leon river for public use eventually neff himself would add more land to the donation and create the mother neff state park you can still see signs for the park along interstate 35 today you know the park system was something that was that was important to neff as is evidenced by his campaign kickoff speech in 1922, which said, The state should establish parks, both large and small, throughout her broad borders. The people should have these breathing spots where they can enjoy nature and stream and tree and rock and rill. These are valuable things in this world that do not bear the dollar
1: mark. I understand that Pat Neff started a new tradition among Texas governors. What was the story behind that?
0: Well, being the good Baptist he was, it's no surprise that Neff left a unique gift behind when he left the governor's (laughs) mansion in 1925. It was a Bible with an inscription which read, Presented to my successors in office. He also underlined a passage from the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 105, which must have been important to him. It reads, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And while I don't know if this practice is still in effect today, Several governors after Neff, including Ma Ferguson, Dan Moody, and James Allred, continued the tradition.
1: Pat Neff's decision to become president of Baylor was not an easy decision to make. What made him accept the presidency?
0: Well, you know, I came across a great story published in 1975 in a Waco newspaper called The Citizen, and it was written by one of Neff's former secretaries, a woman by the name of Emma Shirley, and she described a dilemma that neff faced in 1931 when both the university of texas and baylor each wanted him to become president of their schools at the time neff was serving as the state's railroad commissioner and his initial reply to each school was i'm not a schoolman; i'm a lawyer but his fans were persistent particularly those at baylor they wrote him letters and for a short time he was receiving 50 to 100 letters per day which he answered personally wow The decision-breaker, though, was in the form of Dr. George Truitt, who came to Austin to address the state legislature. After his rousing speech the two men returned to Neff's office, along the way, Truitt apparently said to him, Pat, the Lord has put his hand on my shoulder to tell you that you must come to Baylor. It is his will. And Neff responded, Truitt, my beloved friend, if you say it is the Lord's will, I believe you. I'll come. And the two men knelt down together and prayed. And the best part about this story is that nearly five decades passed before Shirley shared the encounter with anyone.
1: Interesting. Taking on this brand-new vocation was not an easy task, obviously. But to add to the challenges, Baylor was in considerable debt when Nett took office. How did he deal with the financial problems?
0: Well, Baylor was in serious trouble at the time. Enrollment was down and debt was high. No one would even lend the institution any money, and when the Great Depression hit, things got even worse. So Neff realized if he was going to keep Baylor going, he'd have to make some drastic decisions. And since a board had given him nearly limitless power as president, Neff started cutting costs any way he could find. The first things to go were non-essential staff members, electricians, plumbers, and secretaries. He also let faculty members go and hired students to fill staff positions if they accepted tuition credit in place of cash payments. The dormitories were even rented out in the summertime to out-of-town visitors and faculty and staff members were allowed to live in them during the school year. During his first faculty meeting, Neff was described by former history professor, Guy B. Harrison, as saying, We have no money. We cannot borrow a penny. We don't have money for books. We must use a book and repair it until it can't be repaired anymore, and then take a brick and lay it on top of it to keep the pages from blowing away.
1: (laughs) I think I've been there. (laughs) What were some of the creative ways that Pat Neff... Stimulated the enrollment and helped students receive an education.
0: Well, you know, paying for college has always been a challenge, and particularly during the Great Depression. So, to help students, Neff created the Student Employment Bureau that helped students locate a part time job around the city. And he also allowed some students to barter for their education. Apparently, in 1932, two students from Mart, Texas, brought payment in the form of two dairy cows. <laughs> the animals stayed in a barn near the boarding house and were a source of milk for the students. And another great example of a bartering involves the story of the Keys Quadruplets of Hollis, Oklahoma. The four girls arrived at Baylor in 1933. Each one could sing and play the piano and saxophone, and Neff wasted no time taking the girls around on, pl- on a publicity tour to garner attention for the school, where they would perform before his speeches. And at the time, they were the only quads attending college. And for their efforts, the girls were awarded scholarships to cover their four years at Baylor.
1: Chapel services at Baylor seem to be an endless source of humorous and interesting Pat Neff stories. Can you share a few chapel stories with us?
0: I can do that. You know, chapel attendance was was important to Neff. He required students, faculty, and staff to attend the daily services. And he also hired students to patrol during the service as chapel attendance. (laughs) And while he periodically shared the stage with visitors, he typically delivered fiery sermons about his perceived evils on campus. His targets often included smoking, drinking, dancing, and, of course, missing chapel. Of course. And he didn't stand for any funny business during chapel either. One of my favorite stories I found is about a student who stood up during the service just before the opening prayer. The student informed Neff, The Lord asked me to lead prayer today. Neff, no surprise, was not amused, but was quick with his rebuttal Young man, if the Lord wants you to lead the prayer, he will tell me. <laughs> But, you know, there was another chapel disturbance that didn't incur the wrath of Neff. I'm not sure what year this took place, but one morning a group of 300 businessmen from Waco interrupted the service by storming the stage. Their intent was to honor Neff for his service to Texas, Baylor, and Waco. He was proclaimed Waco's first citizen that day, and I'm sure Neff was both surprised and honored by the gesture.
1: Wasn't there a famous coughing incident in chapel?
0: There was, um... Apparently, there were a few students who started coughing loudly one day during a service, and a few days later, the coughing sort of caught on and and increased. Neff became so agitated, he finally banned coughing from chapel. And three students, who may may or may not have been the instigators, responded by writing a satirical letter to Neff and distributed around campus protesting his proclamation. But Neff didn't find the matter funny at all. In fact... He called the three students up to the stage a few days later and publicly expelled them from Baylor. And public expulsions during chapel became a regular occurrence during his time as president.
1: By the 1940s, the United States pulled out of the Great Depression, and soon Baylor followed suit. How did Baylor in the 1940s compare to the decade before?
0: Well, Baylor was was heavily involved in the war effort. You know, Neff brought military programs to campus, and a large number of students actually served in the armed forces. And following World War II, Baylor saw an increase of students during, due to the returning veterans taking advantage of the GI Bill. And while these students allowed Baylor to expand its campus and offerings, Neff often found himself at odds with many of these new students. His authoritarian attitude may have worked in Baylor was struggling in the 1930s, but now he was butting heads with young men who'd returned to college after experiencing the horrors of war.
1: There are a number of, of famous pranks, hands involving Pat Neff during his time at Baylor, and one in particular stands out, something to do with alarm clocks.
0: Yes, and this best-known prank against Neff happened in 1941 during a chapel service. Of course. Um, of course. The night before Dr. George Fruitt was scheduled to speak, a group of students climbed into the attic of Waco Hall with ten wind-up alarm clocks. They were timed to go off every three minutes after Truett began his speech. And the result was better than any of the students could have predicted. By the time the third alarm went off, Neff had to dismiss everyone because of the chaos. <laughs> and he was not amused by the stunt, but apparently Truett took it well. But, you know, even despite his strong-arm disciplinary tactics, Neff showed that he could be a good sport and have a sense of humor sometimes about some of the additional pranks in the 1940s. In fact, one day Baylor Football Center, Bob Nelson tackled Neff to the ground after accepting a dare. He tried to flee, but Neff recognized his assailant. And sometime later, Nelson was summoned to Neff's office, where he received a signed photo of the president. (laughs) There's another great story of, of a group of students who rolled Neff in the snow after he arrived on campus on a wintry day. And again, he let the incident pass without punishment.
1: When did Neff retire from Baylor?
0: Well, you know, Neff finally offered his resignation to the Board of Trustees on November 7th, 1947. And he intended his last day to be December 31st of the same year. By this time, I think he had grown tired of the fighting with the Board for Control of the University. And he may have realized that it was time for someone else to take over. He had really done what he had set out to do, which is to keep Baylor from going under. And interestingly, even his resignation would turn out to be controversial. The faculty and the Baylor Student Council, both by unanimous resolutions, asked Neff to reconsider his decision. The show of affection did not sit well with the Board of Trustees, though, who had become determined to accept resignation. And in the end, Neff did, in fact, step down after a nearly 16-year tenure as Baylor's president.
1: What happened to Neff after he retired?
0: He was still a sought-after speaker, although his schedule was, wasn't what it used to be. He also dealt with some bitterness associated with his time as Baylor's president although it seems that he made peace with it before his death. And his wife, Murdy was with him when he passed away on the morning of January 20th, 1952. His funeral was attended by more than 2,000 people. And a flattering account of the service appeared in the Waco News Tribune. It reads, Pat Neff returned to his beloved Earth Monday. It was a perfect union. The two had never been far apart. No matter how far Pat Neff went in public life, and his career as a statesman and an educator stands unchallenged. He always came back home to the soil.
1: Hans, what are your closing thoughts about Pat Neff and his place in Texas history?
0: Well, you know, I've just hit a few of the highlights surrounding Neff's life and career, and we just don't have enough time to cover everything he was involved in, but a great account of his life can be found in the biography titled The Land, the Law, and the Lord, The Life of Pat Neff by Dorothy and Terrell Blodgett and David L. Scott. And, you know, I really liked his book's closing summary of of Neff's life. It reads, In the end, then, Pat Neff was a man a bit out of step with the times, but more than 50 years after his death, he remains a larger-than-life figure in Texas history. Despite his flaws, he provided leadership and direction at a difficult time and under difficult circumstances. And I think that really sums up Pat Morris Neff.
1: Hans, thank you for sharing these stories of the life and service of a great Texas treasure, Pat Neff.
0: Thanks, Mary. I enjoy being part of this project.
1: If you would like to learn more about Pat Neff, the Texas Collection on the Baylor campus has the largest collection of Pat Neff related documents, books, letters, photographs, memoirs, and more.
0: You have been listening to the treasures of the texas collection for more information google the website the texas collection at baylor
1: university